Welcome back, everyone. I want to introduce my next guest, Brian Trent, who is a science fiction, fantasy, and horror writer and has stories that have appeared in both Weird World War III, Weird World War IV, and is expected, another story he has, we expect is going to appear in uh, Weird World War III China, which is my next anthology. He hasn't written it yet, so now he is fully committed. Um, with that, Brian, I want you to introduce yourself. Um, you know, where you're from, you know, background of, of um, just kind of a brief biographical background, and then you know, start talking about how you got into this uh, you know, writing fiction game. With, with pleasure, and thanks for having me on, Sean. I really appreciate it. Um, well, I'm, I'm Brian Trent. Uh, I'm a Connecticut science fiction writer, uh, also write fantasy and horror, and um, uh, alternate history. It's another passion of mine. And uh, yeah, I've been publishing professionally now for, I guess it's been about 10 years. And what got you started? I've been a lifelong sci-fi fan. I'm going to cut my teeth on Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, and was banging out my earliest stories on a Brother 11 metallic blue typewriter. So I've always been a sci-fi writer uh, and uh, just uh, wasn't necessarily very good when I was younger. So um, well, when did you start submitting? Like how, how old were you? Like when, when oh, you said you know, first? Young. I mean, first, it's probably about nine or 10. Oh, wow. Like yeah, literally put a story in an envelope and send it. Literally, literally put a story in a big manila envelope. And uh, yeah, sent it off and uh, had a collection of rejection letters, of course. But I was reading the magazines back then. Actually, it was just cleaning out my closet. And I found some, some of the very uh, issues of fantasy and science fiction that, that I had read or remember reading you know, as a kid, uh, you know, going to bed and just plowing through one story after another and what made me want to get involved in that. Plus, I grew up in all the great sci-fi classics, Forbidden Planet, Them, The Day of the and Still, uh, The Incredible Shrinking Man. It was just that was my bread and butter. Uh, and uh, definitely wanted to make my own contribution to the genre since I knew what it, how it inspired my worldview and what's possible. You know, looking to the future, looking to what is it, what's beneath the surface of reality. So I, I love it. It's a, it's a great community to belong to. It's a great industry to be part of. Now you mentioned um, Arthur C. Clarke, H.P. Lovecraft, and uh, someone else who's uh, you know, blanking. Br right Brad now. Bradbury. Yeah, Bradbury. Yeah. And Asimov, would you consider those authors your influences, or, or uh, you know, is that a subset of, you know, greater, you know, a number of other influences? Just like talk, talk to me about that. Like, who, do, who would you consider to be your influences in, in some of the writing that, that you published thus far? Well, I'd say, I mean, all four of those and, and and others as well were big influences. But if I had to single out a few, I would say the three biggest ones for me were uh, Ray Bradbury, mm -hmm. uh, because just no one does metaphors like that you know no one does that uh that style um it's so vivid and visceral uh and then um hp lovecraft because i like the cosmological perspective i mean mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a big I'm, like, I'm a star trek fan like a lot of people but i always got annoyed at the humanoid aliens i always got right. annoyed everybody's pretty much at the same technological level which is clearly not going to be the case so i like the fact that he came along into an industry that was, you know, flooded with vampires and flooded with a lot of tropes. Um, and he introduced things that uh, 
made you think way outside the box, right? And then the third author would have been H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells is a big, uh, big influence. I mean, The Island of Dr. Moreau is one of my top 10 favorite novels. And uh, he's, he was so innovative and wasn't afraid. I mean, I like Jules Verne as well. But what I like about Wells is he wasn't afraid to get into the dark underbelly of the genre. He's one of the first to do it. It wasn't, he was not an optimist. Um, he was, you know, maybe the, uh, the forerunner of the grimdark subgenre. <laughs> uh, but I like, uh, I like, he was, you finish reading the Wells story and you come away shaken. Even the time machine, you know, forget the movies. Right? The time, when you finish reading the time machine, you come away um, with an almost Olaf Stapledon-like sense of inferiority in the universe, how fleeting life is, how fleeting a species is. Uh, look at the look at the grand scale of life on this planet. How 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 we have been around for only a blink. How civilization is a fraction of that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's you're getting into you know Zeno's paradox territory here. So it uh, it definitely I like things that really challenge you, challenge your place in the universe, challenge your perspectives. So like deep t- concepts of deep deep time, um, yeah. a broad cosmo you know cosmological scale, those sorts of things exactly you know it's uh, uh that and, and I, I guess i do swim in those waters myself i mean not all of my i have um i write a lot of fiction um but there's definitely a subset of my stories that takes place in the very far future and while it's not necessarily all of stapleton territory it it leans in that direction it's um humanity so, 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 so for folks who aren't familiar with all of stapleton you could say a little bit more about the sorts of um I mean, we have a sense of kind of the sorts of things he writes, but things that folks could check out to, to read more about him. Um, sure. Well, I would say I would, there's a number I can recommend, but my, my two recommendations would be, um, you know, Last and First Men, which, um, I mean, they're dense books. They're, they're a little tough for modern audiences in a lot of ways, um, but they're, it is um, it's still interesting to, to, to dive into his imagination. It charts the evolution of humanity through 18 different species. Um, over like over over several million years and then he wrote star maker which takes that entire timeline in the previous book and reduces it to a blip because he charts the evolution of life in the universe just nobody does that it it was especially for a kid you know it it seems it seems well somewhat akin to like tolkien a little bit you know in terms of like spending all the time inventing all these languages and mm. and this like yeah. r- really deep would, history but uh, different too i see what you're saying you're, you're talking about like telescoping that sequence mm, of events yeah. right which is a little bit different i think that's a fair comparison tolkien well tolkien and lovecraft were both inspired by lord dunsany um who also invented lots of gods and 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 uh, his own cosmology and i think there there were those purveyors of that um that style um mm they they're unique you know it's definitely a it's an acquired taste but it's i think it's worthwhile jumping into okay um in terms of some of the themes that you tend to write uh what are the what are the themes that you keep coming back to and why i'm interested in technology's impact on society uh you know i like in fact my world war three story um introduced one specific technology um, into an alternate 1980, right? And then how would that change things? 
right? right. Uh, how to change daily living, how to change military uh, strategy, et cetera. So in a lot of my stories, you do deal with certain technology, whether it's mind uploading, whether it's um, uh, different types of mobility, um, reg tissue regeneration, whatever. Um, and um, I also like the concept of, as we move out into the universe, we're not gonna be terraforming planets. Just, you're not gonna justify the cost or the time. We're gonna change ourselves to fit different environments. So the, in a way, those 18 different species of all the stapleton are, are a, a, a sampler platter, right? We will, the, the aliens of tomorrow will be ourselves, will be a, a fractured humanity you know, as we spread out to a Galapagos of the stars. Evolution happens fastest in isolated populations. And once you, assuming you can't surpass the light barrier, you're talking about a um, divergent evolution in a million different ways. So it's a little creepy, I suppose, in a way, but it's spreading humanity's seed out onto these different shores. You're gonna be changed. Uh, so I do deal with that in a lot of my fiction. Uh, my war hero stories in particular get into that. And war hero, to remind the audience of oh, the first, I, first place that, that, that appeared and... Sure. Well, um, I wrote, uh, actually, I've been building up to a novel and my novel War Hero is uh, actually comes out later this year. Uh, it comes out in uh, the autumn. Uh, but I've been writing a uh, 10,000 Thunders. My book that's already out is also mm -hmm. set in this universe. It is, I created a timescale um, of the future. Sometimes some of the stories are 20 years from now. Some of the stories are 10,000 years from now, but they all, they all connect in one way or another. Uh, and one story might mention, for instance, an alien species just on a list called the Cloud Kings. Just mention, yeah, the Cloud Kings of the planet Tempest in the Shakespeare system. Um, and then several stories later, I'll have a story about the Cloud Kings on Tempest. Um, that's actually Karma on the Cloud Kings um, was one of my published stories um, uh, in Analog. Uh, and other stories that appear in fantasy and science fiction or um, the Orson Scott Carr's Intergalactic Medicine show when that was around. So I just, it gives me a broad canvas to kind of explore a lot of different things. Uh, and I, I like it. That way we don't have to constantly reinvent the wheel. I mean, it's also this certain technology that I'll refer to again and again, certain characters might be referenced. And I also feel really strongly that if you're gonna do something like that, the story should mm -hmm. stand on their own. I don't expect people to come to any one of these stories having read the other 30 ones. Just, uh, they should stand on their own, but if you read more of them, you're sort of inducted in the, into that universe. And uh, if you enjoy staying, great. <laughs> so that's, 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 there's actually, I mean, Lovecraft kind of did that yep. to some extent, right? You, you can read any one story, but he established a whole mythos that, and, you know, a lot of other writers contributed to that. Like even even to this day, right? You have the like John John Langan, for instance, is in the is in both anthologies, right? He's written a lot of, um, contributed to a lot of Lovecraftian anthologies. Nick Mamatas is, is another one. Laird Barron, who's in Weird World War Four, or is a story in Weird World War Four, as well. So um, it'll be interesting to, are you, would you ever consider letting others play in your, in your oh, mythos or universe? Absolutely, I, I, would, I would love to, um, and I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Lovecraft is one of the one of the earliest people to do this, and he invited other people in, and the results were great. You know, Robert E. Howard contributed uh, yeah. to, to those series. Seal Moore contributed. I mean, there, there was a lot of um, it's it was, and they're still contributing to this day. And yes, a lot of not all my fiction, but I definitely have a little subset where 
I tend to look at extraterrestrials as being very different, if not necessarily great Cthulhu coming out of the ocean, certainly things that are that don't have an earthly analog. I get a, I'm a little tired of the bugs in space or the, you know, hot green women tropes. So, you know, if we're going to run into something different, it's going to be really different. Um, you know, like the space slugs and the Empire Strikes Back or, you know, the John Carpenter's The Thing or, uh, you know, the Medusans in the episode of the original series of Star Trek. There's a lot of, uh, I like that, the Vorlons in Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, but I, to answer your question, sure. I, I'd love to have them contribute to the universe because I, I love visiting over and over again. Now, you, but, uh, more than most authors that I can, I can think of off the top of my head, you have cracked and this this question is for writers you have cracked some of the toughest markets to crack from the magazine of fantasy and science fiction to analog to clark's world to strange horizons to apex uh to nature and and not only you haven't done it just once like you're you're doing it consistently and you're also in you know a number of bane anthologies uh you know again i I, I, I like you because, you know, I like your stories um, a lot, pr- pr- primarily the ones you've written for Weird World War Three and Weird World War Four. But, uh, and, and I'll get to that too, because I want to talk about the genesis of your Weird World War Three story in particular, but we'll get back to that. Sure. Uh, how, how, how are you able to consistently do that? And how hard, like, how long did you try? How, like, how long did it take? To crack these markets and do you have any advice for authors who just no matter how many times they submit and by the way there is one there is one publication you have not cracked yet um yes, which is which one. is asimov's and we can we can we can get yeah. to that i'd be curious to hear your um theories on on, on why not but let's talk about like <laughs> what's working first like what because something's working extremely well and better than most others oh thanks i i well i suppose one thing is i uh it sounds, it sounds obvious, but um, if you want to be a writer, you have to write, right? It's very easy. I know a lot of writers who are always gearing up for a story. You got you to gotta develop it as a habit. You, ha- you really do. Um, and when I sit down to write, that's what I'm doing. I'm not researching anything. When I'm, when I'm down to write, I love research. But when I'm, when I'm sitting in front of the glacial whiteness of an open Word, Microsoft Word document that is not the time to do research, you're smartphone should be buried like you know a, like the the uh, ark at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark in a, in a warehouse somewhere away from you you don't need any distractions if, if you're writing choose the time that works for you and then write be productive in those hours um, because I've, I've written a lot of stories so half of the half of the battle here is just having stories to send out to different places um, so how and, many stories have you have you written now here's a problem I'm a data I'm a data junkie so okay. like I could tell you I could tell you exact numbers on, on my own okay. process, but um, uh, you know, I would say like how many stories roughly have you written in your lifetime, and then roughly what percentage have you been able to you know get to get you know because it could it could it could be exactly as you said. There's a lot of people who are just extraordinarily prolific. Ray Bradbury, I think, was one of them. He would write what a story a week, something like that. So you'd have yeah. 52 stories a year and you know, at some point, like every story can't be your best, but mm. if you write 52 stories a year, you're going to write something good. So again, to the extent that you can give folks kind of a, a feel for that sort of metric. 
Yeah. Um, well, part of it is, is just being productive like that. Um, and also I tend to write a lot of stories um, at once. Like uh, they kind of grow, like groups of stories will grow up together. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll sit down on a Monday and I'll work on one story and I might work on that same story on Tuesday, but on Wednesday I might start something else. So they slowly grow. And then when I really start feeling the inspiration for one in particular, or in my evenings, when I'm doing research, I'll, I'll figure this research works for this story. And then I'll really focus on that one. Forget the other ones, but the other ones are started. You know, those, yeah. those fires are kindled. Uh, they're, they're, the, they're, the coals are, are getting hot. So I'm, um, and also I tend to research when I'm really focusing in on a story and try and working towards completion. And I've already done the research now and I can see the home stretch. Oh, on my off hours, I'll be researching the next story that I want to write from scratch or continue that's already started. So it's, um, it's kind of like a juggling, you know, juggling in a way, but um, you're, you're, never bored. Yeah, you're never bored. You're never bored. And, 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 and you're never time, stuck. What's that? And you're never stuck, right? If you're stuck in one story, you can just jump to the next one, right? You, you never, you're never stuck. I think it's a big thing. I kind of fell into that, that habit. Uh, and also they're very different from each other. You know, if I'm writing a hard sci-fi story, very nuts and bolts, science and technology, I'll be working in an alternate history um, on, on the other days, just to keep, to keep myself flexible. And, and I, don't, I don't burn out, I guess, that way. Um, so that's one thing too. Then, of course, and everybody's going to say this, but this is very true. Study the markets. You know, you don't there. I have personally run into exceptions, but you generally want to send your your nuts and bolts sci fi stories to places that publish that kind of thing. You want to you know, there's whether it's cyberpunk, uh, people have their their likes, read the magazines, um, see what they like to publish. It's not a guaranteed roadmap but it certainly gives you something to, uh, uh, to base your strategy on. You know, those are, uh, and also I don't necessarily write in order. Like if I'll have a scene in mind, my story is begin with the setting 99 out of hundred times. So mm. I'll just start the story. I don't worry about finding the perfect opening. You set next to setting your computer on fire. The you, I can't imagine a, a worse way to, to cut yourself off the knees, but to try to be perfect from the word go. Just get this bones of the story down, polish it later, polish it, refine it, and don't send it off until you think it's perfect. But uh, I don't get hung up on, on that. I, I try to get, I try to write quickly. Um, I try to write clean from the word go, but because uh, I've been doing this a long time now. So I guess the short, I'm kind of a literary madman. <laughs> I do a lot of writing in front of the computer. So inevitably something is going to kind of break through. Now, when you start, you know, when you when you have a blank page, mm. um, now look, there could be it could every story could be a hundred percent different, or you might have certain patterns that you and that's and that's what we're trying to to figure out, right? Or at least that's what I'm trying to figure out for the audience. Mm. When you sit down, you're looking at a blank page. Have you done ten percent of the research? Have you done sixty percent of the research, or are you just I'm gonna I'm gonna write a story today, and I have a random idea, and I'm just gonna write, and then I'm gonna figure out the research after. Depends on the time um, and it depends and I'll give you an example. So I, uh, one of my more popular stories was in fantasy and science fiction. It's called The Dog and the Ferryman. Mm -hmm. And that story, I had been reading uh, some Greek mythology uh, and reading about Charon, the ferryman. And I thought it'd be, he'd be a cool character to write a story about, but I didn't know what I wanted to do, right? I just thought maybe 
you know, he is in the future and people aren't dying anymore. Oh, there's an interesting idea, but I didn't know what to do with it. Do it. Like, what does what does the ferryman do if people aren't dying? Um, so I had no particular story in mind. It was just sort of percolating. I ended up going to a museum, uh, the Bruce Museum in Greenwich, Connecticut. And they had a exhibit on the history of cartoons. Um, as it like political cartoons, you know, newspaper in the newspapers. And they talked about the very first time that an anthropomorphic animal had ever been featured, something that's ubiquitous today. But back in the day, it had never been done before. And the first talking animal in a, in a comic book um, was a dog. And those two separate ideas came together. I went home and I wrote the story like at a white heat, like in, in four days. So, um, and uh, uh, that story, of course, is about Charon um, ends up meeting an uplifted dog in the future. Uh, it right. sounds, sounds weird, but uh, you know, I didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. Other times, I just do a lot of reading. I love reading science, um, science journals, science papers. Um, I like uh, you know history. I read a lot of history. Actually, informs my writing a lot. Uh, again, maybe it's that Olaf Stapledon sense of 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 his historical time frames, but. I'm always reading things and things that start to occur to me. Um, I'll just, usually those irons in the fire have already been lit too, uh, whether it's about uplifting animals, um, you know, which is subject I've dealt with a couple times or about artificial intelligence. So usually um, I do, I'm inspired by a lot of what I read. Um, well, let's talk about that. So the sorts of things you read, um, you know, generally, and, you know, I don't think everybody agrees with this, but I think there's probably a consensus. If you're a writer, you should also read. Um, but the, you know, the question I would have is what portion of what you read is fiction versus nonfiction? Because I think people don't read enough nonfiction because that inspires more than you'd think. I agree. Um, and actually, when I was growing up, I read almost exclusively fiction which I think was important to do to a writer developing. I think that's how people should start. But nowadays, it's probably 80% of my reading is nonfiction. Uh, just because I, I like to think I know how to tell a story now. So I like getting facts and data and um, different discoveries, different inventions, different candles in the dark of what's possible. Right? You know, they're working on developing a quantum computer now. That's interesting, right? Um, they're working on a, a, a universal um, a cancer vaccine, for example, universal coronavirus vaccine. That's interesting. Um, how did that happen? What are they doing? What exactly is the, are the nuts and bolts behind it? I don't have a story in mind. I just, first of all, I just want to know it because it enriches my experience of the world. Right. But who knows? You know, I, uh, one of my, my, my story that's coming out next in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction later this year um, came about uh, partly because I had read, um, I wanted to write a story that was set uh, at an archaeological dig site. I didn't know what they were digging up. I just knew I didn't want to be dinosaur bones because that's been done. Um, so, so I had read about that. I talked to an archaeologist and then it sat there for about four years in my head until other ideas came along and you kind of dust it off. You look at it and see what fits. Uh, tough to predict, but because um, I think it'd be cool. I, I think people should be, in, I think people are interested in their world anyway, right? I mean, right. certainly kids are. Everybody knows kids who, who rattle off dinosaur names and uh, who can pronounce Archaeopteryx and, and, and things like that. And that makes 
as I said, enriches your experience in life. Just as a writer, you take it one step further, you write about it. Now, talk, talk a little bit about, uh, actually, let's go back to the origin story of your weird World War III story. So, uh, you know, Brian, Brian's going to tell the world what <laughs> happens when a writer flakes. Go. <laughs> um, so uh, this is, uh, yeah. Um, you had, you, well, Sean, you had reached out to me. Um, through Facebook and said that uh, asked me if I wanted to participate in a, an anthology for Bain Books, and uh, you kind of needed an answer right away because I had two weeks to uh, to write the story. <laughs> because I guess I guess there had been a number of writers who had been invited, and uh, I guess one or two of them, you know, didn't return into story or, or wasn't let you know they weren't going to be turning in a story. So I said yes immediately because I wanted very much to be part of the project. And then I looked at the calendar and started to sweat because, um, you know, for those, for the uninitiated, we're World War III um, is, uh, it's a very, it's very specific parameters that you gave me too, right? Had a, it's yep. Cold War, Stephen King's The Mist meets uh, Red Storm Rising, Tom Clancy's. That's right, Red, Tom Clancy's yeah. Red Storm Rising, yep. So uh, I don't write stories set in the Cold War. <laughs> My stories are, as I said, 20 years from now or 10,000 years from now but I actually love those parameters I like having parameters given to me like that because it forces you to be creative and one of the one of the wellsprings of creativity is to be out of your comfort zone right I didn't have a story I could dust off and send to you so I had to I had to think what can I do here and either we chatted for a couple days um, you know, two weeks, I was, I was very conscious that I got, you wanted me to pitch the idea first in case I unintentionally wrote something similar right. to something else. So I, I threw a couple ideas at you. And, but by the way, that never happens either. Like okay. someone <laughs> it, like ne it never, it never happens. And sometimes they'll be close enough, um, just in terms of the topic, but the stories will be completely different. Right. So, um, David Drake read, read a story about Cambodia um, and in his, his experiences um, obviously were resonant from, from that. But um, T.C. McCarthy also wrote a story in Cambodia, set in Cambodia, but they're very different, like very different stories. But I didn't put them next to each other. I just put one in the beginning, one toward the end, and it just works. But it rarely happens. So sorry to interrupt. Go ahead and continue with your thoughts. No, no, it's thought. okay. Well, well, it forced me to, to think of, all right, here's the assignment. And I've got now 12 days to do it. Um, so um, let me think about what, what do I know about the subject? Well, I grew up during the latter portions of the Cold War. I remember um, the, the threat of nuclear war. Now, I remember thinking as a kid, I remember thinking I might not grow up. Now, here in Connecticut, we had the Groton submarine base here. It was certainly on, it was certainly on the hit list uh, of the Soviet Union back in the day. So... And then you had movies like The Day After and Threads and Testament and uh, by Dawn's Early Light. So uh, war games, like all right. war games, and you could Carl Sagan talking about it, it, there was it was it was hitting anywhere you looked. It was a real threat, and um, you know it impacts the generation. So I'd always been interested in that. I was always aware of it, and I I like the espionage industry. I'm a big James Bond fan. I always um, I enjoy Tom Clancy. So I thought that there was a story I could think to tell. And I 
to, this goes back a little bit to what you asked me before. When do you start your research? You know, when do you, when you're facing the, the glacial whiteness of a page? Um, I didn't have time to research anything with <laughs> that one because I had to write the story. So what I did is I thought quickly, um, what, where I want the story to take place. I was going to, uh, 1980, I was going to set it in 1980. And it was a nice, it was an, uh, in, and a good decade for the Cold War. Yep. And uh, I could get into you know, East Germany, West Germany. I and came and up by the way, the there were fewer 1980 stories than I would have expected. Right. Yeah, actually, I, I actually was shocked. I, I, I figured yeah. you were going to, I thought somebody else would have done that. So, um, but I came up with the technology, the, uh, the speculative technology, which was an interdimensional toggle. There's two worlds side by side, and you can step one world to the, to the next, but the, uh, the terrain wouldn't always line up. So you have this researcher who lives on a houseboat on Lake Lucerne, Switzerland. And the reason he lives there is because he's afraid the Soviet agents are going to come get him. And he's on the boat. It's not just the lake that protects him. On, in the other dimension where the, where the lake is, it's a 3,000 foot castle. So he figures he's safe. And uh, so I came up with that idea. And then I said it in Switzerland. One is I had just been to Switzerland. I'd been to Lucerne like a year and a half before that. So it was fresh in my mind. I, th I thought I could bring some authentic detail to it. But also, it worked. Switzerland being neutral, um, you know, perfect buffer zone, perfect place for, for Soviet agents and NATO to be operating behind the scenes and the CIA. So I had that, and I knew I wanted it to be a chase caper, you know, uh, the scientist getting abducted and the, uh, because he knows things about this other dimension that could help uh, the Soviets. I don't need, to, I started writing the chase. You know the the dialogue, the the visual. Start with the setting, like I usually do. And in the evenings, I was doing the research, you know, researching different JSOC units, and ba I based Shadow Rooks roughly on the Navy SEALs. Reading about the tactics, the strategies and tactics of a non-nuclear World War III. And this is interesting too. There's a lot of like declassified stuff out there. Uh, that I just read uh, out of interest in, and, and for part of the did, research. Did you, did you, as part of the research, did you happen to come across Relentless Strike? The what? It's a book called Relentless Strike. I did not, no. Not so if, if, if you ever want to write about this stuff again, definitely check out that book. It, it goes, it covers up to maybe 2016, probably 2010, because the, you know, it takes a while to produce the book. But it goes into the evolution of JSOC over time. It talks about, um, you know, it goes into Delta Force, what that, what that looks like. It goes into um, the SEAL teams, but it also goes into SEAL Team 6 and how uh, that's different than, than the others and, and, and why. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really right. good. But anyway, that's on the side, but continue, sorry. For sure, no problem. We don't, there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of declassified plans that came to light, um, you know, old Warsaw Pact plans, uh, like um uh and uh uh it did some of that reading and i learned about the fold of gap and learned about um that and a lot of stuff didn't even factor into the story it's just i wanted i wanted to be able to step into the setting so i could tell a good tell the story that would work. again as another aside my old unit was the unit that was stationed on the full to full the gap and that actually that was right interesting there. too when i when i submitted the story to you and you mentioned that it was just you know fortuitous so uh um you know maybe yeah, so i asked you to add, not only that i asked you to add it i asked right 
it's a little uh, a little Easter egg. Oh, for... oh your your regiment, yeah, 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 so, yeah. yeah. Uh, and also, David Drake was part of the same regiment in Vietnam. Yeah, that's 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 great. I mean, obviously. So actually, that was that was serendipitous. Um, so I was doing a lot of the uh, doing a lot of the reading at night and writing during the day. Um, cranked out a first draft um, in a week, and then did the polishing and sent it off to you. And uh, I was very happy with the story. And it's not something that I would have written on my own. So, um, but uh, you got to. And it made me appreciate how much I enjoyed that that decade uh, in, in in terms of espionage, in terms of geopolitics. So uh, yeah, it was it was great. Um, it, was a, it was a great subject, but it wouldn't. Yeah, it wouldn't. I mean, two weeks is not ideal. I was I was sweating. I didn't get a lot of sleep that week. That's for sure. Um, there's a lot of coffee. What, what, and, what was it called? It was like Shadow Rook. Shadow Rook Red. Red. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. The shadow, okay. In my story, the Shadow Rooks were this 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 fifth column. Um, this this inter these interdimensional uh, division special forces right uh, special forces that uh, would operate um, again to counter um, the uh, the Soviets interdimensional forces and um, uh, it just it changes so much plus what what I really like to and this happened just coincidentally but uh, because by the nature of two worlds and people being able to travel between them technologically you know not magic um, I was able to explain why people wouldn't be using nukes, right? You don't, you don't spend your nuclear payload on targets that might essentially be Potemkin villages where all the, the important research, all the important personnel and ammunition and, and, uh, and equipment has been just shunted over into a neighboring dimension. So, uh, but yeah, I think, I think I've talked to writers who feel like they, they don't like the constraints. Hey, to each their own. I actually, I, I love being essentially told, look, Here's the deal: Cold War, non-nuclear, conventional, conventional war, and uh, and the two weeks lit a fire under me, and it was fun. So I also particularly liked the ending. Um, we don't need to discuss it here because it really embodied what the anthology was about. Right. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, yeah. I won't I won't spoil it, um, but I would encourage readers to check it out because um, it is uh, you know it was, it's it was a fun story to write. And I did try to hit the Tom Clancy and the Stephen King wellsprings. Uh, I definitely wanted to uh, to check those boxes. So now, talk a little bit about Weird World War Four and your story there. Oh. Um, obviously, say a little bit less because we want folks to. I mean, folks yeah. should buy both anthologies because the stories are amazing and and all of them, particularly your stories. But just okay. a, a little hint about um, you know. I could say the premise a million times, but I think you say it. Um, you're better, better salesman than I am. I, I like how you I like how you frame these things. So, you know, tell tell folks a little bit about you know the overarching concept of that anthology, and then how your story fits into it. So, on, this is interesting too, and it was it was certainly a bold choice to do World War Four. I got to say, I remember being very surprised when you invited me, and like, well, we're gonna do four had to, you know, do a double take. Um, but it's, it's, it's very, it was a contrast because World War III, conventional World War III, you've got um, a very, very strictly defined um, borders of what you can, what you're gonna be talking about and so forth. World War IV, it really forced, speaking for myself, but I mean, you know, some of the other writers too, from, from what I, you know, have seen with their posts, it really forced us to, to, project ourselves into completely creative areas i mean it's it's the parameters are wide open now the only thing we need is that world war three happened 
and now there's World War Four. And you, and here's the thing too: this is not the Einstein quote, right? Um, I haven't read all the stories yet. Um, I just got my my uh, I just got my complimentary copy the other day. Um, but uh, uh, the uh, there may be some apocalyptic stories in there, but when I was thinking about it, I thought, okay, what, what do we do? So I didn't want to do a nuclear apocalypse. I thought, well- yeah, And by the way, there, there, there were a few. They're, they're just, okay. they are wildly, one of them is actually a play. They're, they're like, you want to talk about creativity. Like people Can't really, wait. really, yeah, really went, <laughs> really went hard on the creativity and they're good too. But go ahead. I, I can't but, wait. Yeah. Oh no! Continue with what you're saying. I, 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 well, I, no, I, I, I can't. I can't wait to read it because I want to see what other people did with this. But I know for me, I was asking myself, all right. So you got you know EMP-driven wars where you set things backwards. You got interdimensional, interplanetary, which would be more of a world's war. Uh, there's so much you can do, right? And I knew. Um, so I started thinking, what can I do with that kind of concept? And I looked back at the world wars we've had. Um, and one thing I noticed about them is that they, World War I, World War II, they completely upended our concept of what war is. And we have, you know, thousands of years of experience. And we've seen uh, how technology will change things. And the Macedonian phalanx changed how war was fought. You know, invented by, uh, essentially perfected um, by Philip Macedon and, 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 you know, used like, you know, a, a surgeon's tool by his son, Alexander. You have the Chinese crossbow, the English longbow. You have the Roman corvus that allowed them to, to gain supremacy at sea when they didn't know the first thing about naval warfare. Those are those were isolated incidents. But with World War I, for instance, it changed everything. You know, you have the introduction of flamethrowers and tanks and planes and, you know, chemical warfare, people walking around with gas masks, like like, like steampunk interpretation of plague doctors, uh, trench, and, and, and I thought, what was the difference here? It, it changed, it, all those elements converged to make it so that the commanders of the war who had studied in the old school of combat that, that was relevant for a long time didn't appreciate how things had changed. You know, all the gumption in the world does not allow you to overcome German machine guns. And then of course, World War II, you have its own set of, of changes that culminate in the detonation of atomic weaponry something that had only occurred in mythology. So I thought, what can we do in World War IV? And I came up, instead of just coming up with new technology, there is, there is that. I thought, what if World War IV challenges our place in the universe? And this circles back to our cosmological idea, right? Mm -hmm. Where we are invaded by a neighboring timeline and it's not humans that invade. This is a timeline where uh, dinosaurs continued evolving into sentience and, and went, now think about this, Dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago. Imagine if they had achieved a technological civilization, um, you know, within 10 or 20 million years of that. You're talking about levels of technology that are indistinguishable from magic, as the quote goes, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we are reduced to like vermin. We, you know, the opening line in the story says, you know, this guy's riding a train um, yep. that wasn't built for humans. And he's allowed to ride it in the way that rats are allowed to ride a seagoing ship. So it's, uh, it just changes everything. Humanity had already suffered a World War III. And while they were down, they were invaded. I'm not going to say too much about it. Uh, it's not a standard invasion. It's not like that. That's, I will say this. The invasion, they didn't even know we were here. They had their own situation. They invaded. And it's like, oh, oh, mammals are in this timeline. How interesting. How cute. And move on with their situation. Right. So. 
yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, you have to be a little creative if you're looking forward to World War Four. So I don't know what I'm going to do with World War Five if we ever do that. <laughs> I mean, I I kind of like to go back. I mean, obviously, we're working on weird World War Three China, but I'd I'd like to if the if the series continues to be successful, mm. I really want to go back and do like a weird World War One and weird World War Two. Now, I did I did pitch those ideas. And for good reason, for good, for very good reason, they're not, they were, they were construed as not sufficiently differentiated. And I think that's, I think that's fair. However, I would still love to to do them. So for for folks listening to this, like in the comments section, if you think that would be something you would buy, please start, you know, commenting on it and, and asking for it. So I have some sort of data data that I can bring back to the to the publisher and say, no, 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 people will really buy this. I swear. I swear. We have evidence of it. But right now we're not there. And I completely understand where the where, where the I'll second that sure. I would love to do a World War One story, World War II story. Absolutely. Yeah. Well writers would love to do it. The question is is like what people buy it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean I would I would buy the heck out of it. But I would buy that story. Too. I would buy that subject as well. Yes. <laughs> so and for the same reason, I didn't go back and pitch like a weird war, you know, weird civil war. And, you know, you could do mm. a lot of a lot of interesting things um, with that. But we'll see. We'll see how it how it does. Now, let's talk a little bit about some projects that you're working on um, mm. now that you think will be pretty interesting for folks to check out. Uh, so, well, I mean, if the first one would be, of course, my novel War Hero will be out. Um, 10,000 Thunders is the prequel. But as I said earlier, you don't have to have read the prequel to enjoy this. It takes place, um, you know, a couple decades after 10,000 Thunders. There are some characters that carry over, but, you know, you don't have to, if you haven't read the first one, I'm read the first one. I, 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 uh, I wrote it as a sci-fi fan. I think that um, other sci-fi fans will enjoy it. But uh, War Hero mm-hmm. is a different kind of book. It's straight up military sci-fi. Uh, he moves the action to Mars, um, but it's a different kind of Mars. Not, I think, I think it's not the kind of Mars we've seen necessarily because it's pretty far in the future. Um, and uh, uh, so that's you know my big project I'm excited about. Um, and I'm also I just finished. And, and when when does that come out? That comes out later this year. Right? Um, when, it comes out this year. Where can people awesome. find it? Where yeah. can people uh, find it? And when yeah. does it come out? Yeah, it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be bookstores everywhere, but it'll be, I haven't been given a firm release date yet. Um, so it's probably going to be, I'm going to guess October. Um, so, uh, but yeah, you can check out my blog at uh, BrianTrent.com um, or find me on Facebook and um, I'll be giving updates and so forth. And I always post links to, uh, to my stories that come out. Uh, so, uh, but that one, that'll have a countdown and, um, you know, look forward to sharing that with readers a lot because um, I got a life in military history and this is, you know, a military story set of th- actually a thousand years in the future. So uh, it's um, with a lot of, a lot of technology and um, uh, I, th- I think an adventure people will, will enjoy. Uh, and also um, I was writing an alternate history. Uh, a story set in the alternate history was published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction in the September, October issue of last year. Uh, the Scorpion and the Syrinx uh, is one of the, the featured stories. So um, I continuing writing in that universe um, as a, just to, again, keep myself on my toes, not always writing war hero stories. If so here's something that's a little, a, a history that never was, but could have been. 
um, you know, your speculative fiction works in the other direction too. What if, what if history, and that's what we did with, uh, with World War III, right? So uh, how could history have unfolded differently? And, um, and then I just continue with, um, you know, a lot of short fiction, um, you know, it comes out pretty regularly. I'm fortunate enough to, uh, to be able to say that um, and, you know, just keep plugging away at different ideas and life remains interesting. So um, there's always something interesting to research, read about and write. Now there, there's a lot of, there's several Bain anthologies that are going to publish uh, yeah. a story that you have coming up. So Weird World War Four, obviously, that's that comes out in, in March. You can pre-order now anywhere books are sold. Um, what other what other Bain anthologies are you going to appear in in the, in the near? So future? I was just in um, the uh, uh, John Ringo's Black Tide Rising. Um, he uh, invited me to uh, uh, the We Shall Rise anthology, uh, which takes place after the zombie apocalypse, and it's about rebuilding civilization. Um, and the challenges that go along with that. Um, you know, the zombies are still there, but they're more of a background threat. This is about mm -hmm. people. And uh, that was a great experience re research because it actually was research to do there. You know, it's not like you don't just hunt squirrels and call it a day. You have to grow the right kinds of crops. You have to network. It's, it's, it's um, evolutionary altruism. You know, it's, it's about working with your fellow humanity to restart civilization. So I wrote up a story called Descent into the Underworld uh, that takes place in Italy um, and uh, involves a, uh, uh, a individual, a guy who um, is living in, in Italy with his uh, mother and his daughter. Uh, they've escaped the cities. All the big cities have you know, pretty much burned to the ground at this point. There's no firefighters anymore, right? There's no, right. the threats now aren't the zombies. The threats are a broken hand that won't heal. The threats are malnutrition, the pills that your mom needs. So, um, and uh, his daughter disappears. It's clear that she's been kidnapped by somebody. I won't say who, won't get into the details. And um, well, they, they kidnapped the wrong daughter because he, when before the apocalypse happened, he was a professional hitman. Um, so um, it's, uh, you know, working for uh, freelancing for, uh, for different um, organized crime units. Mm -hmm. So that was actually fun to write. And I was uh, very honored to appear in that series. And I have a story coming out in uh, Worlds Long Lost. Um, as, as do I, by the way. As my table of contents uh, made here. Absolutely. I'm looking yep. forward to reading yours very much. Um, I, 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 like I love the, I, yeah, that was, um, and there, that goes back to Lovecraft, right? So this is Lovecraft in space concepts, like cosmological terror. Um, so I wrote a story. I'm not going to say much about it at all at this point. I'll just say it's called Howlers in the Void. And um, I got uh, um, the editor, uh, <laughs> I actually ended up delivering it on Halloween. It was, I swear I did not do that deliberately. I was just, I was trying to get it out before November 1st to the editor. And uh, he just wrote back to me and said, I see why you delivered this on Halloween. So, <laughs> yeah, see, so I, 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 I gate crashed that one, actually. I, oh. I, had written, I had written a story that had part of the theme, but it, but it was, uh, I, sh I shouldn't spoil it either. Um, but I found out about it from another author and I just messaged Chris, the the editor. Um, I think Sean is subsequently, you know, he's also kind of editing it as well, Sean. Um, and um, you know, I, I kind of basically from editor to editor, I I said I said, hey, if any any of those authors, if any of your authors flake, and you need a story, 
I'm happy to submit something that you could use in case somebody falls out, right? It was it was less of the hard sell. It was just kind of like, if you have a problem, I'm more than happy to send something I had that I've just written that fits this almost perfectly. So hey, he said, works. oh, just send it. He just said, just send it. And, you know, in a few, like very, very quickly, he's like, yeah, this is, it's a little bit, it's, it's a little bit different than the others, but I like to have one or two that are, that are different, but fit, but fit, but, you know, in just a different way. So that's how I, I got it. It was my first gate crash, I think. Um, okay. And, and, and a successful one. Um, but that's actually, that's the joy of anthology. I think is what you said that you have, I just love reading short stories as a kid. I mean, everything from the illustrated man to, you know, Arthur C. Clarke's anthologies, because you never really know one story to the next, you're going to get a, a wide variety of ideas. And when you have an anthology, a wide variety of voices. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. That's why, you know, I would love, you know, I, I would encourage readers uh, and listeners to this, check out World War III, check out World War IV. I mean, there's some, uh, I, I haven't read World War IV yet. I just got it like a Sunday Friday, yeah. but World War III has got some, I'm, I'm delighted to be in that company. The stories are, are consistently interesting and you, you're they're given a subject, mystical or, you know, preternatural Cold War, run with it and people ran with it so yep. uh it's uh it's it's fun um and and world's long lost i'm looking forward to that because that's right up my alley that's yep. actually that goes back to what we started talking about that space is uh, is going to be creepy if there are species out there they're they're not going to be you know um klingons with slight with basically human beings with slightly odd craniums and we're talking about really uh things that challenge what's possible challenge basic biological processes challenge your sense of what technology is is feasible so uh had a blast writing out as well i actually haven't been given a release date on that do you know when that was supposed to come out uh, i think it's december 6th i think so. it's 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 like literally in the last week okay. it it hit amazon so december 6th of 2022 um okay yeah i'm definitely definitely looking forward to that there, there's another one that i'm going to be in uh, at Bain Anthology that comes out in June, which is that um, Stephen Lawson's piece, which is Robo Soldiers, and that's just ah. former former you know either either military or or intelligence veterans, for the most part. There's there's one or two exceptions, and the premise is, you know, what does the future of like AI and robotics look like in in warfare? And uh, I came up with something that. I, I, again, the focus of that, like that, that constraint really made me go wide with, with some, with some stuff. And it's, um, I even, unfortunately, I even invented a, like a CRISPR virus that our adversaries could create today with existing technology. So it's pretty, it's pretty yeah, scary stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I um, mean, it's, uh, I look forward to hearing that. I, I forward to reading that too. I mean, uh, you know, Bain's got great anthologies out there, um, so it's you know fun to participate and fun to just fun to read them. So um, yeah, a lot of creativity. And I was also, I was also in Cosmic Corsairs, which is about space pirates. Okay, uh, has a story in there as well. So uh, which it, which happens to be one of my war hero stories, uh, set in the war hero universe. So um yeah so is there um, a compilation a is there a compilation on your website um that has a list of all these stories in your war hero universe yeah so um if you go to uh, www.briantrent.com go to my published works tab 
and um, by year, all my published stories are listed there. If the if it's available without a paywall, I link right to it. Um, there's you know a lot of stuff that's available for free, um, and uh, there is uh, right at the top of that. If you if you're if you want to get that granular into some of the details, there is a list that is a page about where all the war hero stories and um, where they occur chronologically. Like one of my most popular stories is Sparg. It's about a little uplifted octob uh, mollusk-like uh, pet. Um, it was in daily science fiction. Uh, that, for instance, is near future. Um, you know, but then again, you have stories uh, like the war hero stories, which is a thousand years later. So there's a lot of different. Uh, you can see that list if you want to get into that. Um, All right, I'm going to ask you a little, a little more of a controversial question, which I referred to early on, but I never, I never got back to you. Um, analog, what's or not analog? Asimovs, what's going on there? What, what, <laughs> what, 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 uh, you know, why haven't from the person who hasn't cracked any of the big three? Um, okay. Why haven't you? Why have you cracked that one particular market? I, I, I I'm sure it's not personal. <laughs> it's just, it never it, is, my friend. It never. Yeah, is. Uh, you know, I. It's, I don't know. Um, I just I haven't. Uh, I've, I've sent um, a number of stories. You know, when you when you find out. With, with a couple exceptions, when you find out what publications like, um, you can start to write stories for that, like with that style. Like, okay, I, I'm like with fantasy and science fiction. I mean, I have a pretty good idea of, of the kind of fiction you like. I read every issue that comes out. Um, with Osmos, I read every issue that comes out. Um, I just don't quite know. Um, I haven't quite hit it with them yet. Um, so, uh, so what works for a magazine of fantasy and science fiction? If you were to, me. what works for menace, the, the, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, like what sorts uh, of things do you, would you send to them? Analog was, is pretty clear. It's like, yeah. Um, with fantasy and science fiction, I think, um, you know, st strong narratives, strong plots, um, you know, elaborate, like elaborate, interesting plots with interesting characters. I know this sounds generic, but I mean, that's just what it is. It's not. It's not so much that the technology can be there. I mean, again, a lot of my, they published a lot of my um, nuts and bolts science fiction as well, um, but just in really engaging story, really engaging uh, plot lines, um, including, um, uh, in fact, uh, um, they published Crash Site, which um, won the Reader's Choice Award, which, which um, uh, in 2019, I think, uh, for, from Bain. Um, so, and that story had five different plot lines that all wove together, they all converge into a big confrontation. But I'm talking about all these different characters who are just, I'm um, oh, sorry, four plot lines, five major characters uh, that converge. Uh, so that's what I found to be kind of successful, um, uh, you know, there. Um, but Asimov's, um, no, no, <laughs> I'm not sure yet, but hope springs eternal, Sean. So uh, you know, you'll, can... you'll you'll do it. I mean, you've, you've, you've hit everything, but <laughs> everything but that last that last one. Yeah, so eventually... it, it, it's the white whale. It's uh, it's a little bit of uh, uh, my, my Wimbledon, but I can't quite seem to can't seem to win. Look, so I, I'd uh... be happy. I'd, I'd be happy to, to crack one. I, I get the closest to the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Yeah. And I, I was never quite sure why, but your description of what they're looking for is where, where my strengths tend to be. I tend to be a strong plotter. Um, I'm probably weaker on yeah. character. And I think Asimov is solving for very strong characters. I think more than, I don't yeah. know. I don't, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, I don't wanna overgeneralize, but that's been my, my 
uh, when I read those magazines, those are sorts of the where I see differentiation. Yeah, and no, I think, yeah, it is. It's it's tough to to provide a, a thorough assessment, but I mean, yeah, and I would say too that I mean the editors over at over at uh, Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction are just, just been wonderful, uh, um, and they provide. I, I find you know great editors. Um, they they know what makes the story great, right? So like if they give you a suggestion, editorial suggestion, it usually cuts right to the heart of it. Um, and uh, uh, so I've had a couple suggestions thrown my way, like you know we love the story, but you know have you considered this, or you know maybe just just change this a little bit, add a little of this, and then um, I tell a lot of aspiring writers, with a couple exceptions, there are some exceptions out there, but mm -hmm. it overwhelmingly when an editor makes a suggestion, they know what they're talking about. And they pray, they know what they're talking about better than writers do most of the time. Right. So because they just see more stories, more variety, you know, the nuts and bolts, the, the bones of it. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm always frequently surprised by what they like versus what I like. It's, it's uh, sometimes uh, like there, there's a story I sold to um, motherboard, right. The, the like vice medias. Story oh yeah. That, uh, okay. that, that I was like, the terrifying. Really? Yeah. The terrible, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 I'm like, really? <laughs> oh, and it's a good story, but it was just I didn't I didn't feel like I, I had to work as hard on it as some of the other stories that I really like that aren't as successful. So there's um I think I'm a better judge of others' work than I am of my own, but you know, I can't well, figure it out. I think a lot of us aren't great judges of our own work. I mean, uh, I actually had a story there it's from all as well called Extinction Studies, and I had a similar experience as you. Just like, you know, I didn't. I was more bewildered. Kind of had to read the email three times. It was. An it wasn't even Terraform though. It was like like analog. It was just like it's a little too short, but this is the kind of stuff we like. And then Clark's, Clark's World said something about it. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, really? You never know. I mean, that's all, all the more reason. Always keep. I think that's you know. Uh, this is coming a little later after you asked it, but you know, advice for writers, I think, just make sure your stuff's out there. You know, just right. keep keep putting it out there. So it's always, you know, you send it to one place, it comes back, send it somewhere else, and just because you never really know what an editor's gonna like, um, you can get a general sense. You can start to read the terrain a little better, but seriously, you don't really know. Um, you know, I, what, I basically... speaking of which, let's 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 end on yeah. on this particular note. What what would your advice be to some, you know, all sorts of writers, and it might be different. So starting writers, uh, writers who've been at it for a while, who are still trying to break in, what would your general advice be? Well, I would, I would say, you know, three, uh, three R's. So basically, uh, you know, R, R in, uh, in, in sound, not necessarily uh, in spelling. Right. Um, right. First and foremost, right. Um, and I mean, seriously, like don't, when you're writing, remove the distraction. It deserves to be said twice. No one's going to read your hashtag 500 years from now, but we still read Sophocles and Sappho. Mm -hmm. So um, put, put aside, um, don't make, you know, uh, Facebook can wait, Twitter can wait, write. Um, when, you, when you have the time, if it's in the morning and, and find the time, we have busy lives, I get it. If it's week, weekends work for you, getting up a couple hours before work works for you. Rome wasn't built in a day. So if you can only write a thousand words every other day, it's a thousand words closer to completion. Uh, you'd be surprised how quickly you'll build up a body of work if you just make the time to write. Don't get distracted. 
Um, and then uh, the other R is, of course, read. Um, in the beginning, as, as we were talking about, read fiction. Read fiction, definitely. Read the classics, read modern fiction. Don't limit yourself. Just don't, don't do that. Um, and uh, then determine what works for you. For me, it's nonfiction. Uh, you know, nowadays it's more, more nonfiction than fiction, but you, got, you have to study, you have to learn from the masters. You have to see what works and what doesn't, what made you feel a certain way. And when I first read Bradbury, it was like somebody, you know, lit, lit my synapses up with some of these images, like fire balloons. It just, it's, it was, it took me to places, it's tough to articulate, but I saw how he was articulating it. And I thought, I want to do that. I want to make people feel the way he made me feel with it, with that, with that story, uh, with that universe. Um, and then, uh, lastly, uh, research, you know, which again ties into the reading, but just keep yourself open to things. I mean, I love to, I think one of the reasons who I've managed to, I've been fortunate enough to be published in a lot of places is because my interests are, are pretty diverse. Um, I don't limit myself to one kind of reading one subject. Uh, I just, I like to, I like to make sure I always do it, um, on, on Facebook. Um, I always do an end of year summary of what I've read, what I've learned, what I've watched, what I've written, et cetera. And it, um, I like to, I want to fill the time that, that I have here, you know, in this life mm -hmm. with learning how the word works and, and, and of course writing about it, um, researching anything from archeological excavation sites to CRISPR, you know, to, to, you know, nanotechnology to, to the foods they used to cook in ancient Persia. I mean, why not, right? Yep. Um, so I would say, I mean, read, write, research. Was, that's important. Uh, and right. then, yeah. Well, Brian, thank you for your time. Uh, it's been thank a you, pleasure. Sean. This and, has been great. Uh, I look forward to reading many more of your your stories, hopefully in my anthologies, because uh, you know you make my you make them interesting. So I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank All you. Right. Well, you, you, you sent the invites. I'll keep writing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye -bye. Yeah.